The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today, Ken Johnson, says that he was saved at 12 years old, but as an adult, he was not particularly religious or knowledgeable in the Bible. Ken worked as an air traffic controller for 36 years, and during his uh, military service in the 1970s, he had an allergic reaction to a live flu vaccine, and so was considered allergic to flu vaccines generally. When at age 58, he was diagnosed with H1N1, the, the notorious swine flu, he became gravely ill. His swine flu progressed to pneumonia, then to acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is known as ARDS, and then to worse. Deep vein thrombosis in his shoulder required heparin, and from that he got heparin-induced thrombocytopenia. His blood volume was essentially replaced, if I understand that correctly, and that's a deadly situation. Part of his treatment included a rotaprone bed that turned him as he lay in a medically-induced coma, And at one point, he was given a 5% chance of survival. He was in first one hospital, then a second, for a total of 126 days. He lost 80 pounds and suffered multiple serious complications that could have easily taken his life. His blood pressure dropped precipitously, but his family prayed, and through his ordeal, he experienced something extraordinary. To begin his story of the other side, Ken first encountered an evil creature in a hospital hallway, followed by a remarkable NDE. And here to tell us about it is Ken Johnson himself. Ken, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you, Lee. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great that you could be here, and uh, you're here with your wife, Hatsi, and I I think that's splendid. Um, Ken, you've said uh, they took you to a hospital basement across from the morgue to uh, set you up for some pick lines. Tell our listeners what you saw down that hallway. I was laying in a gurney, and they were taking me down the hallway, and we turned down one particular hallway, and at the end of the hallway was a being that took up the entire hall. It was overwhelming how large it was, and it had a black face is all I could make out on it. It was very, very frightening. And it had a stern look on its face. They wheeled me into the room, and I lost sight of it. They did the pick lines and whatnot. I came back out on the gurney and looked down the hall where it was, and it wasn't there. And I thought, huh. So they turned me to go out the other end of the hall, and there it was. It had moved to the other end of the hallway. Mm-hmm. And I just can't overemphasize how frightening it was. It's just difficult to describe. And it looked at me and gave me a nod and winked at me. Like I said, I just can't get over how much fear it was. Matter of fact, I haven't told this story very often about this being just because the fact it brings up so many bad memories for me. Then later when I, when I finally, uh, you know, came around and whatnot, one of the nurses told me uh, we were talking about this issue and she said, Oh, you're down there where the morgue is, which might've been a factor in that. I don't know, but there's no doubt in my mind. It was an evil being. Would you call it a demon? I would. Yes, I would. Just wow. because, uh, you know, how scared I was. You know, you're reading the Bible about 
angels say, fear not or whatever. This one spoke nothing. All it did was nod at me and give me a wink of the eye. Now, um, was that perhaps one reason that you asked for your friend, an African-American preacher named Myrtle, to uh, come in and pray for you? I certainly did. It was just a few days later. I was still occupied by that vision I had, and I asked my wife to uh, ask her to come in. She's quite the prayer. Uh, Mm -hmm. She's a a minister, Mm -hmm. and she came in and prayed for angels, and I just cried. It it was so overwhelming uh, relief for me and so forth. Uh, Sure enough. I think someone said they thought they saw angels fighting over you during that time of prayer. Yeah, one of our friend's uh, relatives came to visit my wife, and Mm -hmm. she said that she observed black and white angels fighting over my bed, spiritual angels fighting. We believe that might have been uh, death and life that were fighting over me. I was very gravely ill at that point. Now, let's get into your NDE. I think you said you started in a dark place. Actually, the first vision I had, I was outside looking at a big white house. Mm. All around it was darkness. And next thing I remember, I'm inside this house. And uh, I'm in a, like a kitchen area. Mm-hmm. There's a lady, a silhouette of a woman sta- uh, sitting in front of me at this table. I can't see any features. I can't see hands or anything, but there's a a female feature there, a a body, if you will, with a bonnet on. And the bonnet had the hood on the front like the older ladies used to use in the gardens and whatnot. Um, So I couldn't see her face. And I was very frightened by it. And I don't recall, but I think I said, I'm scared. And, And she told me, a voice emanated from that being and said, do not be afraid you're safe here with me. And I said, well, I don't know where I am. And she said, don't be afraid. You're safe with me. That's all I recall from that situation. Although, uh, you know, you mentioned the red checkered tablecloth. Yes. Which stuck in my mind because my grandmother always had one of those on her. Uh, I don't know what the significance that was. It's something like a checkerboard or a chessboard, but I don't Uh, think it has any meaning. It much is, yes. And I recall that as you you mentioned that. It's been seven and a half years, so you know, some of the particulars will fade away a little bit, but since you mentioned that, yes, there was a red and white checkerboard of course. on there. That's all I remember about that. The next vision I have, I'm in total darkness. Again, I'm very unsettled, like what's going on here? And a voice out of the darkness says, look down, there's a red, a flower. And I look down and there's a red flower on the ground, just one with a stem. And it's maybe three inches long and it's got petals or rolls, if you will, it's hard to describe and it's red. It favors a rose, but it's not a rose. And I said, okay. And it said, uh, that's your food. There is only one. You have to make the decision whether you eat it or not. If you eat it, it will be as sweet as honey to the taste, but it'll be bitter in your stomach. Only you can decide to eat it or not, and there is only one. Well, my thoughts at that time were, I grew up on a farm in Tennessee. Um, Surely I could grow another one. And, you know, just thoughts like that. I never thought about eating a flower, Hmm. so to speak. And that's the last I recall of that, was that vision and so forth. You're not sure whether you ate that flower or not. Well, at that time, no. If you want to cover it like that. 
I think the whole thing is really significant because of the <laughs> biblical references. Right. And if you, why don't you talk about that a little, and then I'll, I'll, uh, I might add a few remarks. Well, once I had recovered and was home, I have an older brother, and he's very well versed in the Bible. As you said, I was not. And uh, I told a story. And he said, oh, my, that's Revelation 10. And I went, what? And I read it. And when I read it, I was, like, baffled. And I called my minister. And uh, he said, we need to have coffee. He's a big coffee drinker. <laughs> so uh, we met for coffee. Most ministers and, are, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The ones so that we, I know. We met for coffee, and he opens his Bible. And he said, let me read you Ezekiel 3, as well as Revelation 10. Excuse me, Revelation, there's no S. And uh, both Ezekiel and John had an angel descend from heaven with a scroll rolled up in their hand. And we're told uh, both the people to eat it. And it was sweet as honey to the taste and bitter to the stomach. And it was the gospel of Jesus Christ to to read, you know, to write a book for it and so forth. And uh, I just, it just befuddled me. Like, you know, I had no, had no thoughts of that when I had this vision. So my minister looked up at me and he said, Ken, you ate that flower. And that was my passage to the next level, if you will, is, is his, what his take on it was. Right. And I, I think he's correct on that because then you found yourself in a beautiful garden. But before we go to that beautiful garden, Ezekiel, I think it's interesting that the difference between the Ezekiel passage and John's passage in Revelation is that they are eating scrolls. And Ezekiel eats a scroll. It had words of sorrow on it because it was a hard time at that age in Jerusalem. And um, he wrote the book of Ezekiel. I mean, that's what came out of it. And with John, he ate a scroll with words on it, and he wrote a book. (laughs) He wrote Revelation. Now, the flower is a symbol, and especially the rose, and you said it looked like a rose, yes, is, a, is a symbol of love. In other words, that's God's love. And there is only one. It's a universal, it's, it permeates the universe. It is the universe, in fact. Wow. So there is only one rose. But the thing is, if you eat it, and you become a medium for those seeds that you thought about it as a farmer, you would be planting seeds of that love in everyone you tell. Ah, that's so my, that's my take on it. <laughs> it's an ever learning experience for me. Um, you know, just speaking with you in this regard, mm. that's not been brought up to me, and and I see where it fits in so well. Um, and and like I said before, I was not biblically inclined before, and to hear all this, it just it uh, it's very relaxing to know that I prayed a lot after I got well. You know, Lord, I really this really happened to me. And please show me and so forth. And he's still seven and a half years later, is still showing me, if you will. Yeah. So. Well, now uh, that um, assuming you ate it then, although I would add that even if you didn't, you could still because time is meaningless in, in, in eternity. And right. it's that rose is always available to to us. I think even after we after we pass, that mm-hmm. rose is, is still available to us, at least for a time. But anyway, this rose took you to uh, what you said was a beautiful garden. Tell us about that. Um, I I was in a field of flowers. Um, 
they were like maybe two feet tall. Um, all just as far as you could see were flowers and colors and hues you can't imagine. Uh, it, it's indescribable. I, I can't even try to describe it. A slight breeze blowing, blowing and the flowers are moving in the breeze and it's just so soothing. But all the way around me, um, even behind me, uh, was white light that you could almost reach out and touch, and it exuded so much love. You could just feel it coming from it. Um, it just make you cry. Uh, people have asked me what did it feel like. It, I, the only analogy I can think of is when I was like, 13 years old, I fell in love the first time it, that feeling times infinity. <laughs> it uh -huh. was just, it makes you cry. It's so overwhelming. Uh, the peace that passes all understanding and so forth. And a voice came from that cloud and said, I love you more than you will ever know. And I have you in my right hand. And it just, you know, I just remember tingling all over when I heard that. And in front of me was this enormous tree in the middle of these flowers. Um, I've been told that's the tree of life. Um, and I'm just looking around, and all of a sudden, um, to my left, a brother I have that uh, passed away a year prior to this uh, appears to my left, and he was 61 or 2, I can't remember exactly, when he passed away, and he looked like he was 30 years old. Uh, very fit, very young, wearing a white T-shirt, a real tight white T-shirt. And he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, you're going to be okay. You got to go back. And I said, Ricky, it's beautiful here. I do not want to leave. Mm. And he said, no, you're going to be okay. And that's the last I recall. Um, the next thing I know, I'm waking up. Um, they're bringing me out of the coma, which they had difficulty doing. I was so deep in the coma. They actually did a brain scan on me to see if I was still have brain function. Uh, they thought maybe I'd already passed uh, and so forth. So that that's pretty much my NDE, if you will. Okay. Now, you know, I would take that as another, the God's message is so loving. I love you more than you will ever know. I have you in my right hand. I take that as another sign that you that you did eat that flower. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it, it. I mean, it's it's so it's such a powerful thing to hear from from God. Did did He say anything else to you, or was it was, was that it? Um, not specifically. I do. Once I woke up, um, I don't recall what happened to me. Now you got to remember, we're we're like thirty five, forty days into this thing now. When I finally come out of the coma, they bring me out. Um, I've got a ventilator. Uh, in a trachea in my throat i got a feeding tube in my belly strapped to the bed and they gave me a paralytic so i wouldn't pull the ventilator out of my throat um and i i'm looking down like what is this thing in my you know what what's all this stuff here what happened to me so i can't talk i can't move my arms um and i start crying and uh, you have to understand it's a very emotional time um, in a situation like that. Yes. Uh, so my wife is, we've been together since we're 20 years old and I'm 58 years old. So, you know, we had a lot of time together and she knows me and she knows that he doesn't want to be like this. He's 
he thinks he's going to be like this the rest of his life. And at that point, we didn't know. And I'm laying there. Somebody tell me what happened. And that that peace that I felt in heaven came over me from God. And the voice just said again, you're going to be okay. And the peace just went over my body. And I said, okay, Lord, I just give it all to you. And I just felt fine. And I quit crying. And my wife began to uh, read me a book called Jesus Calling. And it's a book about, uh, it's a daily devotional. And it's Jesus talking to you as if you're right there with him. And it soothed me so much and helped me recover. And just took it day by day from there. Now, I understand your wife was momentarily upset when she found out you were telling everyone in the hospital that you loved them. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about that. You did. Yeah. You were channeling God's love, obviously. I I think I was. And, you know, I, they were taking such good care of me. You know, I was pretty much an invalid. I, I couldn't, I couldn't take care of myself at all to have someone clean you and do this and, you know, turn you and wash your face and whatnot. I couldn't think of anything else besides I love you. Thank you for what you do for me. I love you mm-hmm. and so forth. And after a few weeks of that, my wife looked at me and she said, quit telling people you love them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, that's so funny. But we worked through that. Yeah. Now, she also, I guess she was the one that told you uh, or reminded you that when you first came back, you said, oh, wow, I met your family over there. She did. Um, but I do not recall any of that. Mm. Uh, she, she said one of the first things I told her when I could talk was I met your entire family. Um, but I have no recollection of that whatsoever. So probably there are other things you might have forgotten as well. Yes, sir. Very much so. Mm. But I do want to tell the story, um, if I may. There's two stories I have. Um, I told my story to a lot of people. I was a different person than I was before I I went to heaven. When I came back, uh, I just wanted to spread the word so much. I just didn't care if you you believed me or you didn't believe me. I just did not care. Mm. Uh, But I was going to tell this story. And I prayed about it for like eight weeks or so. Lord, show me, give me a sign, just show me. And I recuperated and so forth. Once, I forgot to tell you this, uh, Lee, when we were talking, my mother was in her 80s, and she lived in Knoxville, Tennessee. She couldn't travel. And when I first went in the hospital, I told my wife, don't tell mama, because she would, she'd lost a son a year before, and she would be fretting and so forth. So... um. When, you know, I was uh, sick through Christmas and Thanksgiving and all that. So uh, she knew something was up. So they finally told her. So when I got well enough, I could call her. I called her and talked to her. And she says, I want to see you Hmm. uh, and so forth. So I got to a point where the doctors made up an oxygen concentrator that could plug into the cigarette lighter. And we traveled to Tennessee. Well, I have another brother. I had three older brothers. Another older brother I haven't spoken to at that time for two years. Uh, we were estranged, and I t- texted him and told him I was coming to see Mother. He lives in Knoxville, Tennessee as well, and I got no response. So we take off, and we go to Knoxville. We get there, uh, which is prominent, uh, on a Thursday afternoon at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm sitting there with my mother. And of course, she's in her 80s. Let's go get some dinner. 
at four o'clock, you know? So, uh, a voice on my right shoulder is plain as day said, get up right now, go to Cracker Barrel, get up. I went, Oh, oh okay. It was very insistent. So I said to mother, I said, how about Cracker Barrel? She said, that's fine. Let's go. We got in the car, we go to Cracker Barrel and they have a, like a vestibule, two outside doors, two inside doors. Mm-hmm. And, uh, my wife opened the outside door for me to walk in with my oxygen and my brother that I hadn't seen in two years or talked to is pushing the inside door open. Uh, his wife was not well. He had gone by there to get some chicken soup and it was just a good moment that, and so forth. And we talked a little bit and my mother looked at me and she said, God did that. Mm. Uh, and that was just a really nice um, sign from God for me that he was working in my life. Um, and then another situation I was in church, this was a couple of weeks later mm-hmm. and, uh, um, that voice came over my shoulder and said, tell so-and-so that you're praying for her. And I immediately responded in my own head. No, I don't know that lady. I'm not going to talk to do anything like that. So a few minutes later in the service, I hear the same voice again. You need to tell so-and-so that you're praying for her. And I again said, no, I'm not doing that. So the service was over. I was in the back of the church. We have coffee at our church. And I was doing some things back there. There's nobody around me. And I look up, and here she comes. And she walks right up to me, and she was getting a cup of coffee. And I looked at her, and I said, listen, I just don't, I don't know, and I don't want to know but the Holy spirit is telling me that I need to pray for you. And she said, well, that's nice, honey. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And she walks out. Well, about two weeks later, um, I'm at church and she comes in and she's looking for me. She finds me. And when she gets to me, she grabs me and embraces me and starts crying. And I said, are you okay? And she said, I, I am. I have double breast cancer and I've got to have a double mastectomy. Mm-hmm but I know that God's in it because you told me you were praying for me before I ever knew. And it was a good sign for her and it was a good sign for me as well. Oh, so yes. it turned out well in that regard. So I have many more, but those are the two best ones I like to share. Well, you told me another one that I thought was fascinating. That was the lady on the phone from Phoenix. Oh yeah. 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 I forgot about that. Uh, like I said, I have very many. Well, um, we lived in a two story home and I could not do steps. When I came home from rehab, I could take seven steps with a walker. That's all I could do. So we decided to sell our two-story large home, and we built a uh, ADA-compliant, American Disabilities Act-compliant home because I didn't know if I'd be out of a wheelchair or in a wheelchair or what at that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was one-level patio home, and we moved into the patio home and whatnot. So I had at that time, uh, I don't know if I can, I had a satellite provider let's put it that way Mm -hmm. so i call the satellite provider to change locations and i'm speaking to this young lady she's very pleasant and we got our business done and we're talking and i in the in the time i had asked her where are you at in the world and she says i'm in phoenix arizona and i said oh you know it's hot out there we exchanged some pleasantries and whatnot so we got our business done i started to hang up and she said uh, have a nice day and I said, ma'am, every day is a nice day. And she said, whoa, 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 whoa. Why did you say that? 
And I said, because God loves me and I know there's a God and I know how much love he has. And, and I shared my NDE story with her. And after I finished all this and we're sitting there talking a little bit, she's crying. And I said, ma'am, are you okay? And she said, you have no idea what you've done for me telling me this story. I was going to take my life tonight, but I know now I should not do that. I need to live for God. And we both cried together and I had a prayer with her and, you know, I don't know what transpired after that, but, uh, I I'm a firm believer that God put her on the phone with me that day to talk to me. Uh, and that's how I, it goes for me. Uh, I tell people my story all the time and you get, you'd be surprised reactions you get. People are hurting for the word. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, if you read further in Ezekiel, uh, he says that uh, God warns Ezekiel, the people to whom I'm sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Uh, ah. but, but that's the assignment we get uh, from God to, uh, to talk, I, I talk have, about that sweet peace that you learn from God, that peace that passes understanding. Just I just know it's there. Yeah, I just recently spoke to a Sunday school class. I was asked to speak to a uh, a, a church that I don't attend, uh, some friends of mine has a Sunday school class. And that's the one thing I tried to give them a message for is, uh, I'm saved and I know it. Do you know it? Do you know that's where you're going to be <laughs> with God? Live this life in peace. And I wish I could break my peace off and just give you a piece of it, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> it's just so divine. It really is. Now you said you, uh, you learned something from the movie, the movie Heaven is for Real and, uh, and from the shack. Uh, yes, sir. Did you know anything about NDEs before you had one yourself? Uh, no. And, uh, you know, I, there's a little bit of a mystique to it. I just didn't want to penetrate it too much. Uh, I had to grow with it because I had a lot of PTSD, if you will. Yeah. Um, laying in the bed, you know, for hours on end for 126 days. And uh, you can't fathom that until you uh, experience it. There's a lot of alone time and a lot of, you know, um, questioning yourself and whatnot. But we were watching Heaven is for Real, and the little boy didn't necessarily code. And that's mm-hmm. what I kept telling my doctors that we were talking about. He said, well, you never really coded, but you, you, had, a, you had an encounter with God, is what one of my doctors said, um, which to me meant, you know, you were pretty bad off. Um, but that was a thing in, in heaven is for real. But the real thing was in the shack when uh, he saw all those flowers. Now in the shack, it represented his life. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say that specifically. Um, but when I saw that, I yelled to my wife, that's what I saw. That's what I saw. So there's a lot of it uh, that coincides, if you will. Yes. Well, the fact that your doctor said you had an encounter with God is is such a relief to me to hear because so many doctors will tell a person who reports an NDE, oh, you you hallucinated, or it was the it was the anesthesia, or it was a, a drug reaction, or they they just um, so many doctors, at least in the past when I was working as chaplain at a main uh-huh. hospital, could not fathom the notion that that an a, an out of body experience or a near death experience was real. And uh, it was so you had a you were blessed to have a doctor who who accepted the the fact. Well, it was a kind of funny thing. Um, 
a year after I had gotten uh, out of the hospital, I had a bad case of bronchitis and I went back in to my pulmonologist and there's a group there. And I met the, the I, I knew all the doctors when I was in the hospital, I was there so long, but uh, I was in a room with my wife and the doctor, he said, uh, what brings you here to see me today? And I said, Dr. So-and-so, you put me in the rotoprone bed today, one year ago. Hmm. And he said, I did. And I said, yeah. So he looked up at my records, looking through it, looking through it. And he said, oh, my. And he looked down at me again, and he looked at my wife. And he says, I remember her. And he looked at me again, and he said, your legs don't swell. I said, no, this doesn't go wrong, no. And he said, my goodness gracious, you know. And he, I mean, I don't know if it's his, it's his uh, essential or not, but he is of Indian descent. Um, so, and then he told me, he said, you had an encounter with God. And I went like, wow, can you tell me more about that? He went, no, I just know that you were a very sick man. <laughs> yes. So, well, it was, he was saying in, in effect that it was a miracle that you survived that and survived it as well as you have. Yes, sir. So that's, that's a great blessing. And your yeah. wife, I can tell, is a great blessing to you as, as well. Uh, yeah. At one time, the doctors told her if she didn't go home, she was going to be in the bed next to me. Oh. Yeah. She Did, stepped out in case you need something from her. Uh, well, just, uh, um, just a prayer <laughs> would be great. <laughs> and a prayer for you that your message through this program and through any other encounters you have with people and Sunday school classes and so forth. Uh, begins to help heal the world because that's we are so much in need of people's understanding that uh, that that we and God are on the same path if we only open ourselves open our hearts and and, and let him in. And uh, the best things I've heard lately is I want to be alive and not just live. Mm. Well, to to be truly alive, we need the spiritual component in our life. With, I agree. Uh, yeah. Ken, I think we have we've uh, pretty much run out of time for today, uh, but I want to thank you so much for sharing your incredible message of calling because you've been called by God to do the work you're doing, and your message of love from your near death experience. Um, if listeners would like to hear this show again or any of our more than 400 archived NDE interviews, please go to Talk Zones NDE Radio site and hit the Past Shows button or subscribe to our. YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, where you can listen and comment on the complete NDE Radio library. And for something completely different, be sure to like, follow, and share our new NDE Radio Facebook page and discover our Facebook group and links to our YouTube channel while you're there. Just search NDE Radio with Lee Whitting on your Facebook app. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, a talk zone for more NDE radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening. <laughs>